you have your Bibles and you want to turn with us, we're going to be looking this morning, Luke chapter number 9. We're going to have our kids be dismissed now for Children's Church. You guys are welcome to go. The rest of you, again, if you have your Bibles, or your phone or your iPad or whatever you use, Luke's Gospel chapter number 9 is where we are reading this morning. Book of Luke, chapter number 9 today. So good to see you here this morning. We're beginning in verse number 57. Luke 9, verse 57. It says these words, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And this is the word of the Lord this morning. We're going to begin a new series of messages here in January that We are calling Engaged. Engaged. No, I'm not talking to you about getting down on one knee and asking for someone's hand in marriage. All right, so kind of chill out and relax about that. Some of you say, I already did that once and that's enough. And and after what this person next to me has put me through, I probably don't ever want to do this again, but... But the idea of being engaged is, of course, more than just that. We understand that that's one meaning of the definition, but it's also the idea of going from passivity to activity. The word engaged means to be involved. It means to be active. It means more than just being an innocent bystander, sitting along the side of the road. You notice a group of people standing around and they're having a conversation. And you will notice a few people, no doubt, in the midst of this throng of a conversation who is who are moving, I should say, their arms wildly. And you can hear their voices. And you look at their face and you realize those people are really engaged in some kind of a Serious conversation. All right, you know it's politics or not, they start swinging at each other. Because uh, <laughs> that's the way we do it around here anymore. But then you'll notice a few others maybe standing in that same group and 
couple of them are looking at their phone or a few of them are yawning or watching the clock on the wall and you'll realize they're not very much engaged, right? We understand what this idea is of becoming engaged. We start our car and it sits there and it idles and it spews out carbon monoxide and it does absolutely nothing until we engage and I probably shouldn't say this because I don't know what I'm talking about. We engage the clutch or the transmission or the gear, whatever we do, we put it in the gear and it goes. And I'm way over my league, so I'm going to get off this. We understand though what I mean. It's engaged. It's ready to go. The car is moving. And that is, of course, what I mean by saying that we need to become engaged. What are you doing when it comes to your spiritual life? What are you doing when it comes to your walk with God? How is your walk with God going? Maybe should I ask, is your walk with God going? Are you involved? Are you engaged in a relationship with God? Dare say that too many of us are probably not too engaged in the church in America, maybe even other parts of the world. It's not something we take seriously. We're not actively seeking to grow closer to God on a regular basis. I mean, we come, you know, as long as the playoff game doesn't start near our time. We come as long as the weather's bad and we're not able to get out and go fishing. We come as long as whatever you want to say. It's not really something we're very active in. Or like the man who woke up one day and his wife decided to let him have it with both barrels and said, I'm tired of you. I can't be in this relationship anymore. I want to get away from you. And Looked at her rather dumbfoundedly and said, what did I do? What's going on? What, what, what brought this on? I never even realized you were feeling this way. And she looked at him and said, you're just not interested. In fact, you never even tell me you love me anymore. He looked at her in his stupidity and oblivion and said, well, I told you the day I married you. And if it changes, I'll let you know. In other words... Not very engaged. And then he's wondered why. Packing our bags and moving out. That's the way we are with God. We're like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll serve you. And maybe that's the last God has heard from us. But that, of course, is not the way that it should be. The Christian life is a life of active engagement. It is a life that is meant to be participated in. It is a life that is meant to be lived on a day-to-day -day basis. And my prayer, my desire is that this year in 2020, as we face the first of 52 Sundays, as we face at least the fifth of 360 more days, it's 361, it's a leap year, that we will stop as Christians being passive, that we will stop sitting and watching and we will actually begin 
to be involved in what God would have us to be. And of course, today we begin with the idea of the premise of the series, becoming engaged with our relationship with God, doing more than just sitting and watching. Let me ask you some questions as we begin today. How, how important is your relationship with God? How important is it really? On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is it that you Pursue God and you seek after God and you love Him. How much time are you willing to invest in your relationship with God? I have an iPhone and many of you do, of course, and on there they have a new thing called screen time and they'll tell you how much time you're using it every day. How much time are we spending in our Relationship with God. Have you thought about God at all between this past Sunday and today? Or did you wake up like, oh wait, it's Sunday morning. I guess I better get a shower and go to church. Are you here because of a desire to serve Him and live for Him? Or are you here because, well, my wife made me come or my mom made me come or I feel like if I don't come, somebody will show up at my door and ask me where I'm at. Have you asked Christ to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins? Have you really made Him the Lord of your life? These questions are designed to get you to think, to challenge yourself as to where you stand with Christ. And if you have not made that commitment to following Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. For you to do that, after all, according to Matthew chapter or Mark chapter 12, that is the greatest commandment. When the teachers of the law came and they heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus. It's not giving your tithe. It's not honoring the Sabbath. It's not honoring your mother and father. These are important. But Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. That, after all, is the one commandment that matters, to love God more than anything else. And so as we consider this this morning, the first thing to notice is this, is that being a Christian is a call to follow Christ. It's a call to follow, actually follow Christ. Okay, it's more than just a being an American. It's more than just voting for a certain political party. It's more than just doing this. It's actually a call to follow after Jesus Christ. That's why in verse 59 we read this. Jesus said to another man, follow me. Come, follow me. And this isn't the only place in the Bible. John chapter 1 verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come. 
that you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. Verse 43. John chapter 1, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. And on and on it went as he called the twelve and he called others to come and follow after him. And even after Jesus was gone into heaven, as the church began to take place in this world, we notice that with the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, he says, when God who had set me apart from my mother's womb and had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my Immediate response was not to consult with any human being. What was his response? His response was to follow God. It's always a call to come and follow the Lord. It's always a call to complete obedience to the ways of Christ. We cannot be a disciple if we are not willing to obey all that Jesus has commanded us to do, to listen and to obey the teachings of Jesus and to obey them completely, wholeheartedly, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Jesus in John chapter 14 says these words, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. When you think about this, this is a serious call. This is not a flippant call. It comes up every once in a while. This is a very, very serious challenge to follow Christ. Go back up to Luke chapter 9 and look at verse 23. Jesus said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And I've said it before. The cross is not the Nice piece of gold that you have around your neck. It looks great. It accents your outfit nicely. Earrings look great with the cross on it. We have whenever we take down the Christmas decorations, a nice brass cross that we put on our communion table back here. We have a nice wooden cross. But in fact, think about that. A cross is an instrument of death. It's an instrument of torture. There was nobody in Jesus' time who would go to Walmart or Target or, or Hellsburg Jewelers or whoever else and buy them a nice pretty cross. It was something they were deathly afraid of. And yet Jesus says, you must take it up. And if you want to save your life, you must lose it. You must be willing to give your life to Him. Take up your cross daily, every day. You must be willing to follow. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. But unfortunately, too many of us are like these three men. Too many of us are like these three men in our text this morning. It's not a knock or media slam on these guys because these guys are 
probably good guys. They're probably sincere. They're probably willing to honestly give the Lord a chance. This was a very hard thing because the Jewish people wanted a Messiah who would come and overthrow Rome. And here is this guy, this carpenter walking around and and he's teaching and and healing people and touching them. And, And it was a hard thing for the Jewish people to believe. After all, Isaiah said he'd come to his own and his own did not receive him. John said it as well. And so these men really wanted to follow Christ. It wasn't a show with them. And yet they all had reason why they couldn't at this particular point in their life. They had reasons. They had excuses. He identifies the excuse in the first man. The man says, I'll follow you. I'm ready. Let's go. And Jesus says, what, in verse 58, he says, fine. I want you to know foxes have dens, birds have nests. But I don't even have a place to lay my head. In other words, if you're going to follow me, I'm not sure where I'm going to be tonight. I don't have a home to sleep in. And this man is like, what are you talking about? I mean, I've got this nice, luxurious home that I have spent years building and working on. And I have this wonderful mattress. And I have this luxurious pillow and this awesome walk-in shower and all this other stuff that would make everyone on HGTV jealous of what I have. It rivals anything you see on there. Jesus looks at him and says, so? I don't have that. It's not important to me. It's not what I'm about. And if you're going to follow me, you have to understand there may be a few nights where your pillow's a rock. The stars are your blanket. The same guy's in the same boat. Jesus says, follow me. And what does he do in verse 59? Follow me. But he replied, first let me go. And bury my father. As I was reading and studying this this week, I noticed there's an argument, disagreement whether or not the man's father was actually dead, literally dead. Some commentators state that he was and that the fall to bury your father, the son of the father, to bury him, that was the highest duty, religious duty that they had. And taking care of your family in that time of crisis was more important than anything else. And the only thing that could break it was one of the Nazarite vows. Or if they were the high priest. Otherwise, everything was put on the back burner so that the son could go and take care of the duties of laying their father to rest. Others have stated that the man's father was in fact not dead, but close to death. He's on hospice. He could have lived for a few more weeks or months or maybe even a year, but the call was to come, follow me, come. Leave your family, the closest of your family, the obligations that you have as a son and make me your first priority. You see, Jesus demands an obedience that transcends all filial family relationships. Third man, he was willing to go, but 
First, they want to go home and say goodbye. Just, just let me go. It sounds reasonable. No doubt this man was thinking of the prophet Elisha. Do you remember what happened in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah goes and he throws his mantle on Elisha and he says, come follow me. And, and what does Elisha do in 1 Kings 19.20? He left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. And he said, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye and I will come with you. Elisha goes home and he tells his mom and dad goodbye. He burns the yoke that is on his oxen. He sacrifices his oxen as a sacrifice to God and he leaves it all behind. But, but Elisha at least had the chance to say goodbye to his mom and dad. And yet Jesus tells this man, you cannot do that. You must follow me. Because he realized that this request is nothing more than a desire to hang on to the man's old life. It's nothing more than a desire to hold on to the old way of living just a, a little bit longer. And this is emphatically rejected with a warning. The turning back from the task that God has called him to. The showing yourself unworthy. Discipleship. The disciple's hand is to stay at the plow. And that makes total sense. Makes total sense and it's not uncommon to what we have even here on these hills that we live in where, where the ground is very rocky and the person holding the plow must keep it in a straight line or it would not be even rows for the crops. Jesus is telling him it takes focus takes commitment. You cannot turn back. It cannot be a moonlighting task. It cannot be an ice cream social or a hobby that we do. It must be something we dedicate ourselves to with all of our heart. See, that's the way it should be when it comes to our relationship with God. I read something this week as I was preparing and studying and whatever else. I mean, it is so good. It says this, it says the exchanges between Jesus and would-be disciples in verses 57 to 62 concern property. Son of man has no place to lay his head. Family, let me go and bury my father in work. One who puts a hand to a plow. These same three claims will again be given as reasons for refusing the invitation to the great banquet in chapter 14. And Jesus will assert His call to discipleship in relation to them. Again in chapter 14. The commentator wrote this, he said, Property, family, vocation are life's most ultimate obligations. If anything should qualify as a valid exception to Jesus' exclusive call to discipleship or as a postponement or modification of it, these should. But he said, therein lies their danger and deception for no reason. No matter how worthy can compensate for failing to accept the invitation to discipleship. Because again, if anyone comes and is not willing to hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be his disciple. Do you hear those three words? Property, vocation, family. I thought those three words do not explain 
who we are as middle-class Americans today, I'm not sure what does. I mean, we don't live in a country where we are afraid to come and worship because we are a distinct minority. We don't have to worry about coming here. And, and I know there's shootings that take place and there's one that took place. And, and, and if you're here this morning and you're new and you wonder, um, we take security re- seriously around here. We have cameras that are monitoring and watching and, and our guys are supposed to uh, watch you and, and keep an eye on you. So if you wonder why one of the guys is sticking real close to you, it's because you're kind of shady and we don't trust you. Um, <laughs> Say that, I hope there's nobody like that this morning. But we don't live in that kind of a country. But we live in a country where we are so tied up with our property, our possessions. So tied up with our job, our work. So tied up even with running our family around and caring for our family that God gets put on the back burner way too much in our lives. Oh, it's not a problem for anyone to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and drive to JFK Airport and catch a flight to Los Angeles and be at a 10 o'clock meeting in Los Angeles or whatever, however long it takes to get there. Man, to get up on Sunday to come to church at 10, come on, this is the only day off I got this week. I mean, I'm working 60 and 70 and 80 hours. I'm so busy with my job. I, I just I don't know if I have time for you, God. We're all about building our house and making it look good. Think nothing about going to the furniture store and buying the most exclusive furniture we can. All the Amish-crafted stuff that we can find and spend money Tens and thousands of dollars and all this stuff. And yet, someone comes, says, I'm giving up everything and I'm going to a third world country to serve as a missionary and tell people about Jesus. And we, and we think, well, good luck. I hope you make it. Good thing you don't need any money because I'm not giving you that. Look, it doesn't have to be these three things either. Sit there and we say, I'm redheaded Irishman. That's why I lose my temper. That's why I get angry and nothing I can do about it. And just, a, you know, in my genes, it's in my genetics. That's your excuse for not learning to control our tongue and our temper. Your heritage is more important than doing what Jesus said, learning to forgive and control words. You say my marriage is terrible. Spouse wants nothing to do with me. I'm, I'm entitled to. Look at inappropriate stuff on my phone or computer. Really? That's your excuse for not following Jesus? Look, I'm not asking anyone to show up here tomorrow and say, hey, pastor, I quit my job. Called a real estate agent. I called a divorce attorney. I'm here. I'm ready to serve God. Let's go follow Jesus. No, that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. But what He is saying to us is, what are the things in your life that you are pursuing with all of your heart and you're pushing your relationship with Him to the back burner and it's not engaging because you're so busy doing everything else. I read this story in relation to this passage. 
talks about what it means. It says each day he watched the long twisting halls of the major corporation for which he works. He uses crossovers to reach the three city blocks of buildings. Into each office he brings the daily mail and he picks up the outgoing mail. Nothing special you think, then you ask him, what is up or how are things? What is the good news today? Immediately, you get the answer. Jesus saves. This is not just a slogan for David. It is a way of life. Everyone he sees, here's a word about Jesus. Everyone who looks at his mail cart finds signs about the love of Jesus. Notice closely, and you will hear him quoting scripture to himself. Not just random popular verses. He quotes whole chapter sections or even books. He has learned Spanish so that he can witness to the Latino population of our community. While the rest of us go fight to get on top and make the big bucks, David quietly lives out the mind of Christ in daily contact. The stalkers in the warehouse with the corporate executives. Most would see him as one of the least of the world's population. Christ most likely places him among the greatest. And I know that's not what we're thinking. We're thinking, oh, I got to follow Jesus and I got to be like Mother Teresa and go live among the lepers in India. And if God calls you to do that, I pray that you would listen. But I think more importantly, God has just called you to, to live in Sailorsburg or Penarjul or, or, or Wingap or Nazareth or wherever you are and right there on your street to be Jesus to men and women who this morning will not come to a place like this. Maybe He's called you just to live a Christ-like life in your daily business dealings. To be honest with your co-workers. To be person that's willing to serve and exemplify Christ in your end and out daily interactions. Maybe God has just called you to change diaper after diaper, cook meal after meal, read story after story to little children and to be a person that identifies and introduces your children to Christ. And they look at you and they say, that mom, that dad is the most godly, Christ-like person ever and I want to be like them. But you see, for many of us, we have reasons. Well, if only this, if only that, if only I will, but maybe tomorrow, but you know, if I went to that church, I'm sure that you see our church and, you know, maybe if I sat under that guy, I mean, he, you know, he writes best-selling novels or books. Some of them are novels, depending on who you read. But you see, there is no reason, no excuse. The question is, are you willing to pick up your cross and follow Jesus right now? where you are. So let me finish here with some concluding applications. And that is this. First of all, doing. Doing 
will never bring salvation. And I want to make this very clear. Because here's what happens in a message like this. You're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, you know what, he's right. I really got to do better. You know what, I'm going to get up extra early tomorrow and I'm going to read the whole New Testament and I'm going to pray for three hours and I'll probably pray for all seven and a half billion people in this world, call them all by name, and I'm going to just give some more money and donate to the Salvation Army. And we get to thinking, you know, if I just do these things, God is going to look at me and say, good job, you really, you really have done well. You're welcome to the kingdom. I have to remind you. And I have to tell you, and I want to make sure you know this, there is no amount of doing that you can do that will ever bring you into the place where you are justified with God. Don't you remember that guy who's praying and he's saying, look, I fast twice a week, I give alms, I do all this stuff. And Jesus said, no, it's a poor man who got there and said, be merciful to me, a Ephesians 2, 8, 9, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that you cannot boast. It's inevitable that somebody gave the largest check in the offering today. If that was you, thank you. I don't know, I won't know, and furthermore, I don't care. Thank you for that. Can I tell you, not more saved than the person who only threw in a dollar today because that's all they could afford. You're not. And again, if God has blessed you and you made $10 million last year, thank you. Pay your tithes. If you're struggling and all you made was $10, thank you. Pay your tithes, God does not mean you're more of a Christian than anyone else. Yes, you were here all week and you painted and you vacuumed and you cleaned and you did the restrooms and you served in the nursery. Thank you. It does not mean that you're closer to God. And yet, my second point is this. Christ demands complete and total obedience to Him. Complete and total obedience. Christ demands it. Charles Stanley wrote these words. He said, There are some people that have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they do little to act on their belief. Others are actively following Christ. They live as true disciples, passionately pursuing the Lord's will in all things. These are the ones who take the relationship of Christ seriously. Ask yourself, are you merely a believer or actually a follower of Jesus? Trusting in Jesus Christ is fundamental, but it's only the first step. Your primary purpose is to take a lifelong journey following in the Lord's footsteps, honoring Him with your actions and speech and increasing in biblical wisdom. God demands total obedience to Him, nothing less. That means whatever is in this book is in these scriptures. If Jesus said you must do, you must be willing. Forgive my enemy? Yeah. Yeah. Forgive him. 
Love those who wrong me, yes. One of those daughters I saw in the news of one of the deacons that were murdered in Texas last week said, I, I forgive this man who killed my father. Would you be willing to say that? Would you be willing to do that? I laughed because I saw the president was running around and talking about, oh, everybody's saying Merry Christmas again. I got everybody saying Merry Christmas again. It's like, you know, I think more important than saying Merry Christmas is actually living the spirit of Christmas. Some of the same ones at his rally have probably said, yeah, we're saying Merry Christmas, probably. Gotten fisticuffs with protesters outside the rally. Who knows? You see, it's more than just show. It's more than just coming on a Sunday morning. It's a relationship that takes place each and every day that seeks to honor Him in all you do. That seeks to be a good husband, a good wife because God has called you to. Not because your spouse deserves it. But because God has called you to honor Him or her. To be a good father, to teach your children in the fear and admonition of God, not because they actually picked up their toys for once, but because God calls you to. So finally, what steps, what steps do you need to take in order to prioritize your relationship with God? What steps do you need to take? Probably different than mine, but what do you need to do? What is one thing you could think about it? Write down and make a note. Maybe you need to take time to read your Bible. How come you know more of what's going on in the news than you do what God has said in His Word? Maybe church needs to be a priority in your life. I know that's kind of awkward to say it because we're here, right? <laughs> Maybe we'll put it on the website someone that's not here will turn in and listen but maybe that needs to be a priority maybe you need to let go of the sins that set us aside that hebrew talks about in hebrews 12 1 bitterness and jealousy and anger and wrath resentment laziness whatever it is lustful thoughts you you, you hang on to them too much and they're, they're hindering your relationship with God. And, but yet you're, you're more interested in being bitter as someone than you are in growing close to God. You're, you're more interested in the feelings that you get from doing something inappropriate than you are the relationship with God. Maybe it's time to let Him go. And to get to the place where you say, God, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much I struggle, you are going to be first in my life from now on. I mean, I want our ushers to get ready, receive communion, and a worship team if you guys want to come this morning. This is the first Sunday of the month, and if you're newer here, first Sunday of the month, we partake of the Lord's table of communion. One of the verses we read is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says these words, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night He was betrayed, He took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Read that over and over. Of course, I remind you and tell you that we believe Jesus died for our sins and we're going to keep saying that until Jesus comes and we sit with Him at that great married supper of the Lamb. A lot of times what I don't emphasize, I'm going to emphasize it to you this morning, are the words in verse 27 29. Because it says these words, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Those are pretty harsh words to think about the words that we need to consider. You need to examine yourself. Not your neighbor, not your, not the worship team, not the ushers. Examine yourself. Where am I in my relationship with God? If I am not where I need to be, and yet I stand here and I say, I'm going to take communion because after all, you know, I want everybody to know how wonderful I am. Paul says we're drinking judgment upon ourselves. My challenge for you this morning is to look inside of your heart and to ask myself, Lord, am I really willing to make you my everything? And if you are not, make that decision to do so today. Because the table of the Lord is open for you. It's there for you. But Jesus demands, requires that you come with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, as we come today, let us come with reflection, self-assessment. Maybe there's somebody in the church you need to go to and you need to say, I need forgiveness. Maybe you need to ask your spouse to get home. Maybe tomorrow, instead of getting up and grabbing your phone or turning on a news station or whatever, maybe you need to get your coffee and sit down with your Bible and read what God would say to you. Whatever it is in your life, as you come and you partake this morning, let us come with the heart desires to seek Him. Because you know what? When you seek Him, you will find Him. And He will be found. So ushers, aren't you kind? The worship team would sing as we take the table.